It says, in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. And he had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their houses, and he would, uh, they would invite their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And when a period of fasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, well, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. But listen to what happened one day. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. And then the Lord said to Satan, well, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright. He's a man who fears God and he shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the works of his hands so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your your face. And the Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your hands. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. And then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now listen, one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked them and carried them off. And they put the servants to the sword. And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came, and he said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert, struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them. They are dead. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and he tore his robe and he shaved his head. And then he fell to the ground in worship and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. The name of the Lord be praised. And notice, in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. You may want to leave your Bible open as we look at this passage this morning, as God only can speak to us. Dear people of God, as we look at this passage, and as we look at facing loss in our lives, We're going to look at three things, even as we look at Job. And I want you to uh, think about the fact that it begins here in the first verses by telling us that Job was blameless and upright and he feared God. 
and he shunned evil. And the truth is, Job was a man who had his heart in the right place. Now, when it says he was blameless, it doesn't mean that he was perfect, but his heart was for God. And he wanted God as the center of his life. And as he had that, that, that love for God, all of a sudden, as we're going to see, his life changed just so suddenly and unexpectedly. But what I want you to know is that sometimes we think that loss should only come to those who don't love God. And we're surprised when it comes to us when we love God. But Job's heart was in the right place. He loved God. He was one who feared God. And then he had this wonderful life. He was blessed by God. But what we see, first of all, is the losses that come to his life. And on your outline, too, you can write there are basically two types of losses. And they happen to Job and they can happen to us. The first of course is the loss of people, people who we love. And sometimes it happens suddenly. We just heard that as Pastor Schuringa had told us this morning about someone who died suddenly and unexpectedly. And we know that can happen in our lives. But there's another kind of loss, and that loss is also hard for us and sometimes just as hard as losing people. And that's the loss, number two, of things in our life. Things like our business or our job. There was a man in my church in Orland Park that had a wonderful business and it was growing. And then when the downturn came, the bank that gave him his loan was sold to a bigger bank. And all of a sudden they called his loan in and he lost everything. And sometimes that can happen where you're just wiped out or you lose your job and you did nothing wrong. And you say, Lord, why? All I do is try to serve you and now I've lost my business. I've lost my job. Sometimes our losses are the loss of a dream of how our life was going to be. And it's hard for us when we lose those things that are so precious in our life. But as we look at the book of Job here, we see what Job lost. And it's so fascinating because Job was so blessed of God. He had been given so much. If you look in uh, verse 2, it says he had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys. The first thing that he lost, number one, was all of his wealth. It was all gone in one day, the Bible says. One servant after another comes and says, You've lost your camels, you've lost your sheep, you've lost your servants. Now, remember, Job just loved God and he feared God and he just wanted to use everything he had to the glory of God and he loved his family. And now all of a sudden, all these things were taken from him. And I want you to imagine, because it says he had, and we try to imagine this, he had such wealth, he had 7,000 sheep. Imagine if you had 10 sheep. He had 7,000. And then it says he had 3,000 camels. Now, in Orland Park Church, when I was pastor there, a couple of years, we had some camels for our scenes of Bethlehem, and we actually had them in our uh, gym, in the gym by our church. And I remember when those camels came in, they're huge. And we had doors like the doors in the front of your church here. And they just instinctively put their heads... You should have seen the car stop when they came to our church in Orland on a Sunday afternoon. And, and there they go, three camels. And they bow down and they come in and there they are in our gym and they're huge, three camels. I can't imagine 3,000 camels. And then he also had 
500 yoke of oxen, that's a yoke is two, so that's a thousand oxen, and he had all these servants, and it was all wiped out in a moment. And you try to imagine what that was like. He had such responsibility, so many people working for him. Some of you have been in that position where you've had a business and you've had responsibility for all these people and their families and helping them so that they could provide for their families. And again, all we want to do is serve God with that wealth, but it's wiped out in a moment for him. Can't imagine how difficult that was for him. Some of you have been blessed with some wonderful wealth, and like Job, you you just want to serve God with it. Some of you have been giving to Timothy Christian schools for all of your life, and you do it not because you want everybody to see it. You do it because you love God, and you continue to give for the school and for the church, and, and you do it out of the goodness of your heart, and then all of a sudden, for some of you, it's been taken away. But the second thing he lost, and this hurts so much, is his family. Seven sons, the Bible says in verse 4, and three daughters. He lost them all in a moment. Uh, uh, One servant after another comes, and then the last servant says, and now your, 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 your sons and your daughters were feasting at your oldest son's house, and a tornado came and swept the house away. A wind came, and it was gone, and all of your children are gone. Some of you know what it's like to lose a child. There's no pain so difficult but to lose all of your children. It's an indescribable pain. Remember when I was pastor in Denver, Colorado, I got a call. I remember it was a Monday morning to come immediately to a young couple's house from our church. And I went there. And I'll never forget when I came and rang the doorbell and she opened the door, the mother, and the scream from her as, her young son, she had put him down for a nap in the morning and she went and looked for him and to see how he was about a half hour later and his body was still and he was dead from sudden infant death. I didn't even know what that was, SIDS. All of a sudden, there was no warning. He had a little cold before and he was gone. And that, 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 that scream of a mother who's lost that child. Her arms literally ached for that little nine-month-old baby. I remember going with her and her husband to the funeral home and seeing that perfectly formed little boy in his casket. And I think, how do you get through that? Some of you have been there. You've lost, some of you, some wealth. You've lost children. He lost all of his children. And then finally, In chapter 2, it tells us of how Satan was allowed to touch his body. He lost his health, the third thing. He lost his health from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, covered with sores, in pain. So he scraped them with pieces of pottery, it says in chapter 2, verse 7. And he's there in the ashes. And you think of poor Job with all of this loss in his life. How do you face that? Some of you have pain in your body every morning. You wake up with pain. And some of you have it till the time you lay your head down at the end of the day. And some of you have experienced times in your life like that, where the pain is so deep that you can't think of anything else. Think of poor Job, as all these things have happened to him. And you realize that Job's losses came suddenly and without warning. One day, suddenly without warning. And the truth is, we never know 
We never know when it's our turn to suffer loss. And even though we love God and even though we fear him and even though we want everything to be done for him and we love our family, we can suffer loss. It happens to everyone. We never know when it's going to happen. We never know at what age it will happen to us. But remember, loss is inevitable in this broken world of ours. It's a time in which we really react. And we all react in in, in many different ways. But we're going to look now, secondly, at what was Job's reaction. Well, when we ask about that, we know that often when you and when I face loss, our first reaction is we feel numb. We're in shock. It doesn't seem real. And I've talked to people as they've lost somebody suddenly. They say, it's not real. He's not really gone. Remember when I went to the Christ Hospital in in, uh, uh, Oak Lawn and there was a young gal who had just graduated from Calvin College and her, her husband had just graduated from Calvin and he was in a car accident and I came to see her and we were sitting there and the doctor came. It was a female doctor and she just came and she said, I'm sorry, he's gone. All of a sudden, all of a sudden it can happen to us. And we're shocked. It, it's not real. She said, this isn't happening to me, but it was. And some of you know what that's like, to feel that numbness. And then after that, almost immediately, we start to ask the question, why? Why, Lord? We love you, Lord. Why is this happening to me now? Why this? I, I don't understand it. But I want you to see the three things that Job did. The first thing is that Job mourned in verse 20. And here's how it tells us he mourned. He did mourn. He wasn't afraid to show his grief. He got up, he tore his robe, and he shaved his head. Now, we don't do that today when we're in mourning, but in his day, when you tore your robe, it was a symbol of how your heart had been torn by what happened to it. He tore his robe, and it was a symbol of grief. But the other thing is he shaved his head. And in his day, as you know, in the Old Testament, so often you've seen uh, pictures and you know what the Bible says about the Nazarenes. Men wore long hair and they had long beards. And if somebody shaved their head, you knew that person was in mourning. It was a symbol of, of grief. You know, we have different symbols today. We don't shave our head when we're in mourning. But you know that there was a time when people wore a black armband if their mother or father died. Or they wore black clothes. Some people for a long time would wear them for a year. My mother told me that when she was a girl, the tradition was in South Holland that you would put a black wreath on your door. And as people passed your door, they knew you were in mourning. So we have different ways of showing it. Some of you know that during World War II, people had the blue star the blue star in their window if they had a son or daughter in the service. And then if that son or daughter died, you would have the gold star. Everybody knew that family's in mourning. Nowadays, it seems as if we don't give ourselves time to mourn. It's like three days afterwards, we have the funeral and everybody hopes you're doing better and hopes you're back to normal. And we don't let us grieve, but Job grieved. He shaved his head, he tore his robe. And then the second thing, though, he did, he didn't just grieve, but he also worshiped God. And we do that, too. It says in verse 
20, he fell down then in worship to the ground. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. May his name be praised. You see, Job did what we do. We sometimes gather in the church like you did Thursday night. And we sing songs. And sometimes we gather at Nolcrest or Colonial Funeral Home down in Orland Park, and we grieve, but we also worship God even through our tears. We sing the songs of faith. And it's hard sometimes to do that. And sometimes we break down and cry because the music is so precious as part of our worship, and we can hardly sing when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, and then we break down sometimes in tears at a funeral. Job, first of all, mourned. Secondly, he worshiped. And thirdly, if you read chapter 3, he kept asking the question, why? Why, Lord? And God allowed him to ask the question. It wasn't wrong. It's what we do. And even though we know God won't always answer us, and there is no answer for us at the time, Yet we keep asking that, and Job did it, and it's all through chapter 3. Why, Lord? Why was I even born to suffer like this? Why is it that my children were taken? Why is it that those who serve you suffer such loss? He didn't understand, and we don't understand either. We may never understand until we get to heaven someday. But that's not all that's in the story. Because I believe, and this is what we're going to look at thirdly, There are four lessons that we can learn from Job in his mourning, and it can help us. The first is this. I believe that lesson number one is this, that God will never, ever leave you in your time of loss. He's with you. He's near to you. And and whether you feel close to God or you don't feel close to God, he's still there. He never moves He's always there for us. And that's, that's the wonder of the God that we celebrate, that, that we read of in the Bible. He's not a God who is distant from us. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And you know, even Job in all of this pain could say in Job chapter 19, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know he's there for me. And I know that I will see him on the last day. It doesn't take away all of our pain and our loss, but it helps us through the loss because we have a God. You know, there's another religion called Islam. And in Islam and in the Muslim religion, God is far away. God is a God that you're afraid of. God is a God that you try to appease. But the God of the Bible is the God who covenants with us. He's the almighty and sovereign God, as Pastor Greg said earlier, but he's the God who cares when you're in pain. He he sees your tears and he hears your cries and he doesn't leave you. Now, we don't understand why he allows Satan to do what Satan does here. We're in a broken world. We're in a world that's broken by sin, but God says, I'm going to be there with you. And we can hold on to that. Just as Job did, because the last verse of of chapter 1 says, in all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. 
he continued to trust in God even as he asked why throughout the book. Remember, even though you don't feel close to God sometimes, and I know that happens, I've had people say to me, I can't go to church right now because I don't feel close to God. And I feel such pain for what he allowed in my life. And some of you may have had those days, those Sundays where you just said, I can't go this week. Loss is so painful, but God says, I'm near to you. I'll lift you up again. Romans 8 says, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's lesson number one. But lesson number two is that loss reminds us, it reminds us that everyone, everyone, and everything that we have is a gift from God. It's a gift that can also be taken away from us, but it's a gift from God. And sometimes I think we take for granted what he has given to us and those people that he's given to us. And I would say to you this morning, I think one lesson we can learn when we see how suddenly Job was cast into sorrow when all of his children died. I think what we have to realize is don't wait to tell those that you love how much you love them. You know what often happens? People wait. They don't say it. Well, he knows I love him. But then at the casket, I've seen so many people look into that casket and people will come and they'll say how much that person meant to them. But then sometimes they'll say, I wish I had one more chance to tell him how much I love him. And they wait. That's what we do. But don't do that. Call, write, text. See those that you love and tell them, I love you. I have a twin brother. His name is Harold. We're Harold and Gerald. And I don't know if you know, but when we were kids, Harold was called Herc, and they called me Jerk, and they still do today. (laughs) Harold and Gerald. My mother didn't know she was going to have twins, so here she is. What do you call them? First, they were going to name us Donald and Ronald, but they didn't do that. But Harold and Gerald, Herc and Jerk. Dad said they were going to name us Pete and Repeat, but they didn't do that either. I would have been Repeat. He was born first. But anyway... Harold, my twin brother, uh, in these past days and weeks and months has had uh, cancer. And he had the same thing. We both had surgery on our throats this year on a nodule. Mine was not cancer, but his was. And as he went through all of that and as I, I watched him go through it, and he lives in Michigan, in Door, Michigan, I went to see him uh, several times, but you know what? We began to hug each other, and we say to each other now on the phone, I love you. And we're real close, but we never said it before. But now we do because we realize how precious we are to each other. But do you say it? Do you say it to those that you love? I love you. Don't wait till they're in the casket and you say, I wish I could have said it to them. So that's another lesson we learn here. But the third one is that God gives you tools to help you in your grief and in your times of loss. And and three of them that I can think of is the first one, number one, is prayer. God gives us prayer. He allows us to come into his presence wherever we are and to pray to him. And, And we can do that at any time. And he gives us strength through prayer. You know the old song, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to him in prayer. 
The next part of the song is, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Carrying everything to him in prayer. We can do that. And so that's one of the tools he gives us. A second one is the Bible, his word. He gives us his word, the Bible. And he reminds us again and again, as I said earlier, how much he loves us. He's not a God who we just are afraid of. He's a God who loves us. And you know how many promises are in the Bible? Some of you know this probably, but there are, I think of the jet, 747 and add a seven at the end. 7,000, think of this, 7,474 promises in the Bible. And every promise is true for the believer. Every promise. If you went through your Bible, as some people do, and they put a P, a P by every promise, and in your own Bible you can do this, put a P by every promise, Take a passage like Romans 8 and put a P by all the promises there. But if you added them all up, think of that, 7,474 promises. And they're true. God cares. He loves you. He gives you his word to encourage you. And finally, I would say the third thing is he gives you friends, tool number three. He gives us friends. He gives us encouragers, people who will encourage us. And as you know from the book of Job, A hint for us is don't be like Job's friends. They were not encouragers. And you know what? Their problem was they did what people often do with us. His friends tried to explain to him why he was suffering, why this loss happened. And they tried to explain it to him, and they told him maybe he did something wrong. Maybe you have to confess something. And Job says, that's not it. I don't know what that would be. You know, sometimes we think that our job is to explain it or take away the pain of somebody who's in loss. But God says, just be there. 90% of helping somebody is simply showing up, simply being there with them in their loss, simply listening to their pain. I think of how so often... There are people like you and me that have to forgive people of what they say sometimes in the funeral home and, or when they call you and, you know, they try to mean well, but they try to explain your pain away. And sometimes it hurts so much because you just want them to know how much it hurts. They just need to be there for you. I remember when I was a, a, in high school and a, a young man from our school and our church died suddenly in a car accident. He was my age. This was in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And all of a sudden, a single car accident. My dad got the call in the middle of the night. I can remember hearing the phone ring about 1 o'clock. And he had just been at his friend's house from our church and was driving home, and it was raining, and he died in a crash. And his mother was a widow. She had lost her husband, and now she lost her son. And I went to the funeral home, but before I went, I said, Dad, what do I say? I've never done this before. What do you do when you go up to the widow who's sitting there looking, standing there looking at her son? And I'll never forget, Dad said to me, you know, all you have to do is say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I went in there. I was so nervous. And I went up to her. And before I could even start talking, she said she was so glad that I came, that I was his age and that I cared about it. And I said, I'm so sorry. But just being there meant a lot to her. Sometimes you need to just give somebody a hug, and it's worth more than a thousand words. And you just have to say, I'm so sorry. 
But you can be a friend to others who are in sorrow. You can learn not to say something that hurts, not to try to explain their pain away, not to say, well, it's really better that she's gone. It's really better. But to just say, I'm so sorry for your loss. But there's one more thing that I have learned from this passage, and I want to share it with you this morning because I think it's for every one of us. No matter how young or old we are, lesson number four is that we have to be ready day by day, every day, for the day when you will stand before God. And you have to be ready, because you never know when it's going to be, to be ready for that day when you stand before God and you meet Jesus. Because when we stand before God, and God says, why should I let you into heaven? Some people think, well, God is going to look at all the good things I did. And God's going to say, you know, your good things outweigh the bad things. Come on into heaven. You were a pretty good person. Job was a good person, but that's not what brought him into heaven when he died. His sons and daughters feared the Lord, but that's because they loved God. And they were saved not because their good things outweighed the bad things. And you know, Pastor Koning was a wonderful person, and he did so much good for the Lord that we say, well, he was a good guy. He went to heaven for sure. No. The only answer that's really the answer that God listens to is when you say, I trust that Jesus died for my sins. Jesus is my savior. He's my redeemer. It's not anything I've done, but Lord, please let me in on the basis of the blood of Jesus on the cross. And do you know that God will welcome you then? The question is, the last question, are you ready? Are you ready every day for that day when you're called to eternal life?